Um, right here. What's up, Danny? I'm going to invite you to speak so you could just interrupt me at any time necessary. And I'm going to go back into the article. And basically what you jumped into there was I found this article today and it totally vindicates everything I've been saying about psychedelics on a scientific level. So I actually have the mechanism for how psychedelics make us smarter. <clears throat> and I think this might be actually some evidence to suggest that kids can have DMT. I think, <laughs> I think DMT might be safe for kids. <laughs> like, that was my original hypothesis that kind of like led to this investigation. I'm like, is DMT safe for kids? And, uh, while I'm no, I'm talking like a full on full, like full blown heroic dose of DMT might be totally safe for children. Not only, not only might it be safe. And I'm not like, I don't have the answer to this question yet. This is just what I believe might be the case. Um, but it, I mean, of course, no, we're, these studies probably aren't going to be done for a very long time, but I would hypothesize that once we do find out, um, what we will find is that DMT is perfectly safe for kids and at any dose, uh, DMT is incredibly safe molecule. Um, our body metabolizes it very easily. Um, there don't seem to be very many negative side effects, um, as far as I can tell. And yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but one of the most powerful psychedelics in the world might be totally safe for kids and not only safe for kids, but good for kids. Now, one way I'm interested in testing this is, uh, getting baby mice and giving DMT to baby mice and examining the neurodevelopment of the baby mice. That would be like a really cool way to do it. So I was looking for that study when I came across this one and <laughs> don't talk to you about mice. Is it, it is naturally occurring. Your body naturally produces DMT when you dream at night during the deep REM states. Uh, if you do certain meditations, you can, uh, unlock androgynous DMT, like with a Kundalini meditation. And I was just talking about how we've scientifically verified that Kundalini meditation, um, increases the GABA activity or the gamma gamma wave activity in the brain. And when you increase gamma waves in the brain, that literally stimulates like new brain growth and neural connectivity and, uh, it enhances your memory, makes your memory better. So Kundalini has been Kundalini meditation has been scientifically verified to be an effective, uh, mental medicine. And so highly recommend everyone, you know, um, practice that. And that's a whole can of worms, dude, that, that shit gets intense. Um, Hey, what's up, Brady? What's up? I've just, you know, in the course of trying to discover if DMT is safe for kids, I came across this article. And somehow or another, they've managed to get an EEG reading at the same time as an fMRI reading. And they're combining those two maps uh, over one another to get a really detailed look at the brain. And they gave people 20 milligrams of DMT while they were in the fMRI with the EEGs attached. And they took all this brain data. And not only are we discovering things about psychedelics, but we're discovering things about human consciousness as a whole. And it's crazy. Um, it's crazy. this data actually vindicates the stoned ape theory as well, because 
the very same areas of the brain that are affected by DMT happen to be the same areas of the brain that are relatively new evolutionarily speaking. It's the parts of the brain that make us different from all the other animals, so to say. And so, so you're saying really lends a lot of argument against you're saying that's an, that that makes animal model less informative. Is that what you're saying? No, not at all. I mean, is that not even a little bit? Well, if the parts, if the parts that it seems to affect the most are the parts of the brain that cause us to differ from the other species, Mm -hmm. then if I demonstrate something in those other species in terms of say the safety or effect the first statement kind of says that well the parts that it really affects in me are exactly what's or mostly what's different from those other species which yeah, means so it's, it's a poor animal I see what you're saying. yeah and it's, 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 way, it's not necessarily saying that it's going to negate really i mean we already know it. that an animal model is not as um useful or accurate of a measure as a human model in an experiment um yep, but what this always, does it's a question of why it's always a it's, question of degree of how good why. yeah well, i think yeah, we already kind of knew why we already kind of knew why but what this does is it kind of it shows that the I'll very part of the human like brain that it's makes weird it there's like a delay or something strange but it shows there's a part of the brain that's different from animals is actually activated by psychedelics and the newer parts of our brain evolutionarily speaking the parts that make us human are activated by psychedelics so it's not necessarily like it's not making animal models any less useful but it, it could be describing the mechanism for why they're less useful if that makes sense <clears throat> but yeah, it's a super interesting study and I was just getting to the end of it. I'll, I'll finish reading it, but there's a few interesting things that it mentioned. Uh, one, the overlay. So there's the, uh, it confirms the stoned ape theory, or at least it, uh, it, uh, it supports the stoned ape theory directly. Um, it looks to be very healthy for the brain. Um, so it verifies the, um, the mechanism for how psychedelics make us smarter and better. Uh, it shows that DMT directly increases gamma activity in the brain, just like a Kundalini meditation would. And um, there's some other things. They also discovered that uh, delta activity in the front of the brain doesn't necessarily uh, indicate uh, a lowering of consciousness, which we previously thought, but it, it might indicate just a change in consciousness like up or down, you know, just that, that consciousness has been altered in some way. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, I'll go back into it. Uh, let me make Danny a mod so you can like do stuff. I'll make you a speaker. So if anyone else comes in, they want to talk about this, y'all feel free to interrupt me at any time. Um, let me just do that. Okay, now I'm going to go back into this article and continue reading what they're saying here. So there are plentiful theories on the uniqueness of the human brain, mind, and behavior. For review, flexible 
capacious information processing. Oh, another thing that this uh, has verified is that the psychedelics allow us to focus on more abstract things, like more larger picture concepts for a longer amount of time. They also increase the duration of neuroplasticity, uh, the ability to learn new things quickly. And so those two things as well. I and mean, there's like so many things coming out of this one article. It has lots of data in this article. It's really cool. This is from PNAS, really good source. So uh, plentiful theories on the unique, uniqueness of the human brain, um, flexible and capacious information processing, particularly in semantic and linguist linguistic domains. <laughs> so that's our language processing, which if you think about, uh, consider that when people say that AI is not real AI, all it is is a language model. Well, consider that language modeling is the most complex thing that our brains do. And just keep that in your pocket when you're thinking about AI. And so uh, particularly in semantic and linguistic domains, one is one candidate. It may be telling, therefore, that both the GFC intensity and the 5-HT2A receptor spatial maps overlapped with neurosynth functional terms related to cognitive faculties that have evolved greatly in our species, language and semantic. So the 5-HT2A receptor is the particularly uh, interesting part. That's the, uh, the mechanism for all of this. Uh, turns out that DMT increases uh, the action in our increases the 5-HT2A receptors in our brain and um, activates them and makes them work better in some way. And that effect on the HT2A receptors signal strength is what gives us all these awesome benefits. And so the recent findings suggest that 5-HT2AR signaling plays a direct receptor and species selective role in early phases of cortical expansion. Increasing the proliferation of basal progenitor cells, this raises the possibility that key target of psychedelics, the 5-T, the 5-HT2A receptor has played some causal role in the expansion of the human cortex. The abundance of cortical neurons, particularly in the top of the cortex, the TOP refers to a, a particular region of the brain that is kind of a unique to humans. So uh, particularly in the TOP of the cortex, a uh, 20-fold increase from macaque to human is a defining feature of the human brain. The densest expression of 5-HT2A receptors can be found in the TOP of the cortex. And as the present study has shown, this is also where psychedelics have their initial and most robust effects. Increased synaptic growth via 5-HT2AR agonism implicates the receptor in ontogenetic brain development and learning. So ontogenetic is that word that I still don't understand yet. And I feel like I need someone to look up for me is O-N-T-O-genetic ontogenetic brain development and learning. So indeed, there's a new wealth of evidence linking 5-HT2AR signaling with the induction of various aspects of neural and behavioral plasticity, but whether such effects are functionally advantageous or impairing is a complex question dependent on several factors. Relatedly, the acute and longer-term psychological effects of psychedelics are thought to be highly context-sensitive and dependent, explaining why such emphasis is placed on set and setting in psychedelic therapy. It's important to note that 5-HT2AR is also densely expressed in the primary visual cortex. Uh, DMT is known for inducing vivid visual imagery. Further studies are required to examine the 
specific DMT-induced increased connectivity we found between the TOP of the cortex and visual areas, which may help explain the visual quality of the DMT experience, which is, by the way, top-notch. It's like a it's like a squeegee for your third eye. Uh, the question of what is specific to the action of DMT versus other classic psychedelics is difficult to answer from the present study alone. With its exclusive focus on DMT and a lack of active drug controlled condition, most of the study's findings are consistent with previous observations on psychedelic neuroimaging data, albeit with a higher fidelity and multi-level depth afforded by the study's design and the subjective potency of 20 milligrams of intravenous DMT. <laughs> Increased delta power may be DMT specific but more research is needed to test this. So like I said, uh, increased delta power in the frontal cortex is usually associated with the lowering of conscious, consciousness. But what they found in this study is that uh, they, uh, what they found was an elevated delta power uh, after the DMT experience. And so, um, you know, something to consider there and look into. Uh, with regard to other drugs and states, the pattern and quality of effects seen here with DMT and EEG fMRI are quite distinct from those seen previously with serotonin up reuptake inhibitor stimulant, sedative, disassociative, uh, as well as MDMA. It's intriguing to speculate that the increased global functional connectivity in high-level regions and networks may be somewhat exclusive property of the action of classic psychedelics. However, a broadly similar profile of brain function, dysregulation of activity in high-level cortex and compression of the brain's hierarchical organization has been seen in experienced meditators meditating, as well as in schizophrenia and infancy. Interesting trifecta right there, guys. Notice that very interesting trifecta. I find that so fascinating, you know, because we find that uh, at least there's it's been rumored that schizophrenics have elevated levels of DMT in their blood. So that is something I think that was maybe debunked, but still kind of in the air for me. I haven't really confirmed that one way or the other. So, but interesting, uh, again, one more time. Uh, a broadly similar profile of brain function has been experienced, has been seen. I'm sorry, let me say that one more time. A broadly similar profile of brain function. So similar profile of brain function has been seen in experienced meditators meditating as well as in schizophrenia and infancy. All three things have a similar brain profile. It's just interesting. So maybe, maybe the meditators are schizophrenic and kind of childish. Who knows? Uh, Importantly, validation checks were performed to assess the influence of motion confounds as well as global signal regression. Relevant results can be found in the SI appendix. Previous psychedelic GFC results have been published that have shown different patterns of change than those observed here with DMT and previously with LSD and psilocybin, although a recent independent study with psilocybin reported broadly convergent results with our own. One potentially important difference in these studies' analytical approaches is whether or not they perform the GSR due to assumptions that the global signal contains functionality meaningful neuronal information, functionally meaningful neuronal information that may be sensitive to modulation via potent intervention and that other pre-processing procedures exist to assess global noise. We chose not to perform GSR in our main analysis. Instead, our thorough processing included draining veins, regressor that other work has shown co-varies with the global signal, yet it's more clearly non-neuronal and therefore more logical nuisance regressor. 
Regardless, <laughs> we performed and reported the results of GSR in the appendix briefly after conducting GSR. Results remained largely consistent with those reported here in the main results section of the study and were inconsistent with GFC results previously published with LSD and psilocybin when GSR was performed. Data and analytical pipeline sharing is currently underway in an effort to resolve between team result discrepancies. So DMT increases peripheral markers of arousal. Some of our imaging findings are consistent with increases in arousal, such as decreased alpha power, DMN, DMN integrity, and increased LZ. However, the breadth and magnitude of the brain changes observed here with DMT surpass what one would expect from mere arousal. Importantly, in validation analyses, we did not find compelling associations between drowsiness ratings and between condition effects on various imaging metrics. Furthermore, findings of increased delta power and associated hyperconnectivity are inconsistent with either increases in arousal or decreases in drowsiness. The current results with DMT are consistent with previous findings on altered brain function on LSD and psilocybin. And these previous studies did not consistently observe increases in markers of arousal. Nevertheless, further work is needed to parse specific psychedelic effects on the brain from mere increases in arousal or decreases in drowsiness. It's important to note that fMRI connectivity metrics are highly sensitive to head motion, and while we did find that head motion was significantly larger under DMT versus placebo, analysis of the simple of the subsamples comprised participants with comparable head motion across conditions revealed consistent findings with those reported. Uh, future research studies should endeavor to collect larger data sets with more participants, ideally with equivalent head motion between conditions. While this study found a significant relationship between changes in global functional connectivity induced by DMT and ratings of intensive subjective effects, few correlations were found between imaging metrics and specific subjective effects, like visual imagery, entity encounters, feelings of immersion, uh, future studies combining neuroimaging with time-resolved measures of subjective experience and or experience sampling plus extensive within-subject data collection could leverage improvements in data volume and quality for more nuanced neurophenomenological analyses. Finally, a minor component of the present study's results was its direct testing of the so-called entropic brain hypothesis, which postulates that psychedelics elevate the entropy of spontaneous brain activity in parallel with increases of the richness of conscious experience, where richness is defined as depth of content, uh, depth of content, sorry. <laughs> uh, here we found clear support for this hypothesis via significant correlations between the self-related richness of conscious experience and the LZC increases of a useful marker for the entropy of complexity of spontaneous brain activity. So there's a few, there's a little bit more in conclusion here. I'm just wondering um, if anyone has any questions at this point. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to put some pizza in the oven. Um, but there's a lot going on here and it's just like, man, my brain is kind of exploding right now. Uh, so just to kind of recap what they're going over there is they're finding a lot of evidence for the stoned ape theory. Um, there's something else they just revealed there. Um, it's just like so much going on. Uh, where, where were they just at? Let me just go back to the article. So increased communication. Okay, this is the last part. Um, 
A minor component was direct so-called entropic brain hypothesis. Okay, so it elevates the entropy of spontaneous brain activity in parallel with increases of the richness of conscious experience, where richness is defined as the depth of content. Support that is clear support for this hypothesis via significant correlations between self-related richness of conscious experience and LZC increases, a useful marker of the entropy or complexity of spontaneous brain activity. So the com the complexity of spontaneous brain activity is one of the best metrics we have for measuring how conscious somebody is. So when you're when you're asleep at night. Um, or knocked unconscious, you drank too much booze and you passed out. Uh, the complexity of spontaneous brain activity, basically the complexity of the brain signals in your mind, it goes down. And basically you're left with like your breathing and your heart rate and just like your basic kind of functions. So it's, it's like there's a, a dim little light just barely lit up. And as uh, consciousness increases, the complexity of the spontaneous brain activity increases uh, right along with it all the way up into gamma, which is the most useful or the most healing uh, mental state. That's like your highly meditative um, psychedelic experience uh, kind of situation. And that's going to enhance your memory. It's going to make your memory better. It's going to uh, make you less depressed. It's going to heal trauma. It's going to make you smarter, more creative. It's just amazing. You got to try it. So moving on with the article here, it says, in conclusion, the present motomodal multivariate EEG fMRI study with DNT revealed a robust, robust dysregulating effect on activity in the brain's TOP, where five HT2A receptors, the main target of psychedelics, are mostly most densely expressed. Observations of increased communication between the top of the cortex and the rest of the brain could be interpreted as evidence of expanded information processing and hyper-associative style of cognition. Interesting. The hyper-associative style of cognition they're talking about is your intuition. That is your psychic power, ladies and gentlemen. That means your brain is taking in lots of information from your senses and it's able to process all of that information so well that it's able to predict what's going to happen in the future with very great accuracy. So this is your precognition. This is your psychic power we're talking about here. This is uh, what they call it is hyper associative cognition. Uh, but that's what a, that's what us hippies like to call it is your psychic powers. So it's intriguing to speculate whether the magnitude of these global brain changes relate to increased plasticity which is the property of being easily shaped or molded, which means you can learn new things quickly, in both neuronal and behavioral sense. This study's results consolidate the view that psychedelics target and dysregulate developmentally and evolutionarily recent cortex. So the psychedelics target and dysregulate developmentally and evolutionarily recent cortex. So interesting. So it, it dysregulates it. Um, so it, it messes with this, uh, new part of our brain. Uh, moreover, it implies the normal functioning of this high level cortex may be necessary for the preservation of human specific psychological faculties, but not wakeful conscious experience itself. Interesting. So what they're saying is that this is kind of like exercise for the, uh, 
more complex, higher functioning parts of your brain. This is like top tier brain exercise is what they're saying here. So the materials and methods, that's, that's going to be a lengthy section. I'm not going to bore you guys with that. Um, I, I am kind of curious as to how I want to call these guys on the phone and, and just interview them and ask them how they got the EEG um, in there with the fMRI at the same time. Uh, but yeah, they, they uh, analyzed the data with AI as well, and it verified a lot of what they were saying in the AI models, um, which is a good green light for... So global functional connectivity was obtained by taking the average of the normalized Fisher Z score of each person's correlation. Okay, I'm not gonna bore you guys with that. There's the direct functional connectivity, the fMRI overlap with serotonin receptor density. So comparisons between changes in dynamic CFG and density of serotonin receptors are made by taking the values of each, the Schaefer Atlas plus, okay. These, this is kind of a, the methods of how they got all this information here. Um, here's the EEG part. Irregularly resampled auto spectral analysis on the presupposed signal isolate. Okay, I don't think they're quite explaining my question there. Signal diversity, dynamic analysis of spectral activity and signal diversity, cortical traveling waves. This is all really interesting. Um, very lengthy, very data rich. Uh, they got acknowledgements here at the bottom and that's it. That's the whole article. But I am absolutely impressed with this article. They did a fantastic job mapping everything out. They have the data visualized really well for you. Um, and I'm interested in a couple things now. Um, let's see what might be in my notes. Ontogenetic and the TOP region of the brain. So first we'll get into ontogenetic and define this word. Ontogenetic. Ontogenetic. Okay, so... It means something that relates to the origin and development of individual organisms. Okay. Origin and development of individual organisms. Ontogenetic and development. Okay, the origin of your genetic development. Thank you. Very cool. Very, very cool. Now we know what that means. Let's go into the TOP of the brain. and learn a little bit more about, oops. Yeah, there's like your top brain and your bottom brain. Your top brain is like your human part of your brain. Your bottom brain is like your animal part of the brain. And so here's something called a new map of the brain. This is from, I hope this is a relatively new article. They don't have a date on this article. Okay. A Saturday essay in the Wall Street Journal this weekend explained why theories about hemisphere dominance in the brain are outdated and outlined a new brain function map that is much more nuanced. So left versus right brain. It's a myth, they say. The origins of the left brain, right brain theory dates back to experimental surgeries performed on 16 patients with severe epilepsy about 50 years ago. While neuroscientists Stefan Kostlin and author Wayne Miller, those surgeries, and renowned neuroscientists at the California Institute of Technology, that sought to relieve 
the patient's suffering by severing the corpus callosum. And the surgeries were successful in post-operative studies where the volunteers found the two brain halves do have distinct capabilities. However, contrary to popular narrative, the difference in capabilities reflect very specific differences in function, such as paying attention to overall shape versus details during perception. However, this fine print got buried in the, in the publicity generated by Perry's research. So the theory of cognitive modes to better understand brain function, we should focus on the anatomical division between the top and bottom halves. This approach called theory of cognitive modes comes from a landmark study published in 1982 by NIH. Um, so the theory holds the top brain system, which is composed of the entire parietal lobe and the top portion of the frontal lobe uses information about the surrounding environment in combination with emotional reactions and personal needs to dictate which goals to try to achieve. Top brain formulates plans, generates uh, expectations about what will happen when the plan is executed and the plan is being carried out, makes adjustments, while the bottom brain system, which is composed of occipital and temporal lobes and the smaller remainder of the frontal lobe, organizes sensory signals simultaneously comparing what is being perceived with information stored in memory. The bottom brain uses the information from the comparisons to classify and interpret an object or an event drawing meaning from the world. Interesting. So, are you a mover, a perceiver, a stimulator, or adapter? The new cognitive theory offers a new way of looking at human thought and behavior that could explain our actions and personalities. It predicts, it predicts that, so this is a scientific astrology here, guys. Uh, it predicts that individuals fit into one of four cognitive modes based on their reliance in the top and bottom brain. So movers are individuals who highly utilize both top and bottom brain systems in op optional ways, a mode that allows them to plan, act, and readily see the consequences of their actions. They tend to be well-suited for leadership positions. Perceivers tend to rely on the bottom brain system to make sense of what they perceive, interpret, and experience their, uh, their experience in place and context, try to understand its implications. They generally do not make and execute big plans. However, they are valuable part of the group decision-making because they can help make sense of the big picture. Uh, stimulator. Individuals in stimulator mode may be creative and original, relying on the top brain system to create and execute detailed plans. However, stimulators often fail to realize the consequences of acting on such plans, and they do not update their plans when things go awry. <laughs> uh, adapters are people who do not highly utilize either top or bottom. They do not initiate plans. Instead, they are consumed by their immediate situations and have to have a go-with-the-flow attitude. Well... <laughs> Well, you got to adapt. I've been, I've been all of these things, you know, at different times. You know, I'm very much all of those different types at different times, it seems. That's an interesting way of looking at things, but I would just consider that a spectrum of kind of uh, mental health and brain activity. But that's interesting. Interesting way to look at things is like if, if you're not utilizing your brain, you're going to be an adapter. And if you're utilizing both your top and your bottom brain together in harmony, you're going to be a mover, a shaker, a leader. 
but I'm telling you guys, I've, I've gone from adapter to mover. So I've, I've been through the steps. I've been through the four step process here. I think that's kind of goofy, frankly. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I think that last part is kind of goofy. Unfortunately, I'm not really getting a good definition on what I was looking for here. So I'm going back to the PNAS article and I'm going to get a more solid definition of the top brain. And <clears throat> they refer to it as, um, it's like a multimodal cortex of some type or other. Um, aha. So the transmodal association cortex poll. Let's pop that bad boy into Google for me. Doop. There we go. Let's try this. The transmodal association cortex poll. This is what we call the top brain. Uh, converging evidence for the role of transmodal cortex in cognition. Hierarchical organization of human cortical networks in health. This is from NIH. Macroscale cortical organization and default-like apex transmodal network from Nature Journal. These are all really great articles coming up here. So PNAS, there's all great articles on this. <clears throat> Complex organization of connectivity in the human brain is incompletely understood, incompletely understood. Recently, topological measures based on graph theory have provided a new approach to quantify large-scale cortical networks. These methods have been applied to anatomical connectivity data on non-human species, and cortical networks have been shown to have small-world topography associated with high logical and global efficiency of information transfer. So what did they find? What have we found? There's a long-ass article, too, man. There's so much good science here. So much good science. So many good scientists working on this. Uh, so, methodological issues. Disorganization of cortical networks and schizophrenia. Here we go, guys. Study represents the first effort to characterize the anatomical disorganization of brain networks and schizophrenia using a graph theoretical tools. And in so doing, we have observed a number of interesting results. First, we have shown that several global parameters of whole brain network architecture, such as small worldedness and the degree degree distribution were close to their values in healthy volunteers, suggesting that key aspects of brain organization are highly conserved even in the presence of a putative neurodevelopmental disorder with profound effects on complex brain functions. Second, we found three classical cortical divisions were differently associated with the state of schizophrenia. Transmodal and unimodal cortical networks showed no significant difference in hierarchy, uh, assortativity, or connection distance compared with healthy volunteers, whereas the multimodal cortical network had significantly reduced hierarchy and increased connection distance as well as a trend to increased assortativity. In short, the motomodal network in schizophrenia had characteristics that might be interpreted as less efficiently wired, and the hubs of the network tended to be abnormally clustered and connected to other nodes of a high degree. When considered with the motomodal network at a finer grain regional level of topological analysis, these observations were corroborated by the finding predominantly prefrontal hubs of the normal network were replaced by inferior, temporal, insular, and cingulate hubs in people with schizophrenia. 
So they outsourced some of that higher brain thinking to the lower brain parts of their brain, lower parts of the brain. And there were numerous, numerous uh, between group differences in regional clustering and other properties involving many components of frontal and medial temporal singlet and insular cortex, many of which had been suggested previously as anatomically abnormal schizophrenia. In short, data is consistent with previous evidence that schizophrenia may be conceived of as a disconnectivity syndrome, principally impacting on the normally efficient uh, constitution of a frontally dominated hierarchical network of motomodal cortex. This view is consistent with many previous cognitive studies of schizophrenia. So the TOP, or the transmodal association cortex, that's what we're talking about here. So what is transmodal cortex? The term was proposed by Musulam in 1998 to refer to cortical regions where task-driven increases in activation are not specific to any single sensory modality and also produce uh, disparate non-specific symptoms when lesioned. You. You don't want that to happen. Wow. So there's the information on that. Uh, there's there's the update. This, that's, I think, all the reading I can do today. There's the part of the brain that is affected by psychedelics. And a lot of this information validates my hypothesis that uh, political revolution is going to be messy, ugly, and weird and awkward and violent and painful if we don't have a psychedelic renaissance first. Um, I think if we were to go into any kind of political change with a healthier brain, uh, we would, I mean, logically see healthier results happen. And so I also think this is a much healthier alternative to uh, psychotropic uh pharmaceuticals. And, uh, I mean, it's how I healed myself from Adderall. You know, I, I used to have a big Adderall. I prescribed a lot of Adderall back in the day and it made me into a zombie. It was maybe hard to sleep, hard to eat all that stuff. And now I'm, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Um, better than the average bear maybe even. And I attribute all of that, every little bit of that to mushrooms. Um, and DMT, both of those two things specifically. And another thing they found in these studies is that there's a, a large similarity between mushrooms and DMT. That mushrooms and DMT are the most similar in the way they act on our brains. And those tend to be the two healthiest, in my humble opinion. So put that in your pocket, put it, stuff it in your pipe and smoke it. And uh, any questions before I go, Danny? Or I wrap it up at 40 minutes? Might be just doing stuff in the background. Let's see if anyone had any interesting comments. Um, Jude's an awesome reader like Peter, professional, regurgitated of another people's words. <laughs> Give him time, though. Someday they'll have an original thought. I would love to hear Lance read something out loud. What do you guys think? Would that be funny? If you read this, please, please. <laughs> okay. He has a funny voice. He wants me to read things in, but he's out of, he's out of comments anyway. Uh, well, I guess that's it. That's 40 minutes of psychedelic vindication and, um, looking forward to hopefully having more conversations about this in the future and examining even more interesting data as it comes out. 
So I hope everybody learned something interesting and I'll see you on the other side of Colin. <laughs>